everyone, and welcome to the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. I'm your host, Jason. And I'm your co-host, Luke. How you go, mate? Yeah, good, dude. Good. Another day That's in right. paradise. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what about yourself? Same old, same old, mate. Back to work and, you know, wish I was still off. <laughs> yeah, my, <laughs> so I could set up a few more enclosures. And <laughs> I know what you mean. I'm getting really jealous of my wife at the moment because she's sitting back getting the government paycheck. She's been stood down a bit more and she's earning more cash than she was before yeah, and having a holiday. Funny, isn't it? <laughs> and yet I go in a day. Yeah, I think a few blokes at work were doing the same. They got, you know, a little bit off and then they got their the government thing, a couple of days to work like a day or two and they were ended up with more money. So Yep. Yeah. Funny how it works like that. Exactly. Exactly. Now I got started on your background yesterday. Yeah, that picture looked unreal. Keen to yeah. see that. Still, still needs a bit of tweaking, but um the wind was absolutely howling up there, so uh I couldn't get the soldering iron hot enough. Oh, yeah, it cooled down too much. <laughs> yeah, I kept trying to work it, but it just wasn't happening. I was like, I'm going to have to come back to this on a different day, but at least I got the panels all glued together. Yeah, yep, yep. So that was nah, a solid that's fair start. Enough. Nah, it looks good. I can't wait for that, eh? Yeah. I was, kind of, I was saying to Cam earlier tonight, as in um, Cam, Cam's custom backgrounds, Cam, um, yep. he's working on a background for me for my green tree python enclosure, and I'm working on a background for you, so it's just kind of going around. It's funny that's how it funny. works. Oh, yeah. No, he sent me a picture of that too. That's coming up real good. Yeah. yeah, it's looking good. Yeah. Did you get any more books in the mail this week? <laughs> I'd be lying if I said no. <laughs> Standard story for you. <laughs> no, I got actually I got quite a few actually. Big um, order. Yeah, I think it was like six books or something. Oh, They're all like good week. Yeah, yeah. No, it was good. They're on sale. Like they were anywhere from ten to thirty bucks each book. That's not bad when you're paying that sort of price. You can actually yeah. get away with buying a few in one hit. Yeah, no, Scott sent me that. I think he sent it to you as well, the sale it was on at Andrew Isles Natural Books, I think it was. Yeah. And I just saw a bunch and I was like, oh, I've got to get those. So I wrapped up a few of those and, yeah, the postie's probably going to bring me a few more pretty soon. So <laughs> <laughs> I keep just spending money on animal upgrades myself, so don't have yeah. the money for the book just there. I don't have much going on with the animal upgrades at the moment, so. <laughs> I um I ended up actually starting to set up that lizard pit on my me my courtyard. Oh yeah, how's that going? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I bought a very cheap garden bed off eBay. It was probably I think it was about sixty or eighty bucks or something like that. But um, yep. it has a million screws to put it together. So I start to spend a lot of time doing little nuts and bolts up and stuff. But no, it was good. It's um basically just needing a lid and it's done. Yeah, beautiful. So, so I turned it all right. Yeah, I've got all the materials there too. It's just taking the time to actually cut a lid and, you know, screw all the mesh and stuff together and, and get it into place. But then I can take those, that cutting hams and the blotch blue tongue up there. So that's a yep. couple less animals. And um, actually tonight I started taking apart Loki's enclosure and starting to tear out all of his substrate and get a few logs out of there and stuff. He <laughs> yeah, has no fun. idea what's going on. But nah. Yeah, that's, um, that's the plan so, this, yeah. this weekend is to to move him. Oh, that'd be fun. Nice heavy tank. You'll need a hand with that one. <laughs> no, t- What's it, it like without all the water in it? It's not too bad or Oh, it'd just be a plywood box without the water in it. But yeah, it's still got the bad. glass it's still got the glass aquarium in there, which would weigh a fair whack. But yeah. This whole enclosure, like I'm gonna have to tear it down to panels. So yeah, and that's enough. just because well you would know from when you came over that little while ago or whatever, but that hallway, there's yep. that sharp right hand angle at the end of it. Into the other I'm, room, yeah. Yeah, there's no way I'm getting a 2.1 oh, meter yeah, enclosure around that. that. So, 
Yeah, didn't even think of that. And um, I saw your video the other day of your hopping mice, mate. Yeah, yeah, you got a How little bit cool of a sneak peek. Yeah, oh, I'm absolutely in love with them. Hey, I was actually just watching them on the camera earlier. Um, yeah. Just seeing what they were up to, had the infrared on it, and you can see their little eyes just bugging around, bouncing around the enclosure. <laughs> but Yeah, they're unreal, those things. I, I watch a video, I'm like, oh, man, trying to work out if I could fit them in. They're honestly, like for a little native mouse, I didn't think I'd be so infatuated with them, but yeah. they are really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah, right. I even managed to... I even managed to pat one of them the other day, so That's I didn't cool. think that was actually possible, but he, he didn't care about it whatsoever. But no, it's pretty pretty cool, and I even threw some crickets in and saw a couple of them eat some crickets and um, eating bird seeds and all sorts of stuff, so no, it's good fun. Yeah, it's a shame we can't keep more stuff, really, I reckon. Yeah. There's some awesome little marsupials out there. Yeah, I'd love to get into some of that stuff, you know, one day, you know, yeah. if the laws ever change or whatever, I reckon it'd be pretty cool to have something like Hopefully a little... it does. Hopefully it kind of comes into line to some of the other states. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time will tell, right? Hopefully if yeah. there's enough people pushing for it, one day they might actually keel over and do something about it. So Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> we might be in our retirement age by then. Yeah, that's right. Might be over bloody snakes and lizards and yeah, we'll just uh, have a little, happen. little pottery or something instead. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Have you got anything else you want to touch on at all, mate? No, I think we should bring the, bring the guest on, eh? That sounds good to me. I'll so, let you introduce the guest. Yeah, sounds good. So, guys, tonight we've got Cam Candy from the Sydney Zoo on uh, to have a bit of a chat about all things reptiles and even some raptors and stuff as well, which would be pretty cool. Cam, mate, how are you going? Good, thanks, fellas. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Very good. Very good. So thank you for so much for coming on the show and taking your time out tonight to, you know, be away from the family for an hour or two. <laughs> ah, thanks for having me on. It's um, it's always good to chat to like-minded individuals. That's it. Yeah, we've got a pretty good job as far as this goes. We get to just hear all these amazing stories and sit back every Tuesday night and just kind of be bewildered by people's lives and, and what they get yeah. up to on the day to day. Yeah, I like it. I like. I, I thought that. There needed to be some sort of Aussie herp wildlife sort of podcast. There, there might be others. I'm, I'm not really that up with <laughs> podcasts, but yeah, no, it's really cool to be on one. And I've been listening to some of your past episodes. They're, they're great. Thanks, oh, awesome. mate. Thank you. Appreciate the feedback. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I know some of the people and it's fun to listen to them tell for a while. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, I think uh, I think Mitch put your name up for this as well. He was kind of like, you should really get Cam on. And I was like, why, did, why didn't I even think about Cam? Of course Cam should be on this show. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're looking for a culprit, it's Mitchell Hodgson. Yeah, I'll get you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Cam, did you want to just give us a bit of a rundown what kind of got you started into reptiles or wildlife in general? Was it kind of like a, a passion as a kid or what kind of drove you into this crazy world? Yeah, talking about... Um or, or talking about listening to some other episodes, it's interesting to hear what people say with this question because it's, it's not all the same. But um, <laughs> I reckon mine is pretty cliche, actually. I was, from as early as I can remember, I was into dinosaurs. And, um, <laughs> you know, like I was, uh, my parents wheeled me out as a party trick to recite Latin names like Parasaurolophus and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. Yeah, totally obsessed with it. And um, once you get 
little bit old. He started getting pets. So then I got fish and birds. And eventually in um, 97, I got my first reptile license. I was about 12 years old. Earlier. So, yeah, so I'd say I was born like this. <laughs> Well, a lot of people are at the end of the day, yeah. you know, there's so many similar stories to that, you yeah, know, yeah. whether it be um, dinosaurs or chasing skinks as a kid or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely chased the skinks and um, I remember keeping, you know, weasel skinks and even cyphos and um, I'd, I'd try to feed everything flies and stuff like that and get, try to get plants to grow in um, fish tanks and all that sort of stuff, and I, I just let stuff go after two days when I realised I couldn't, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. it's um, definitely a, a, a passion from yeah, day one, and um, yeah, not ninety six or ninety seven. I was about twelve. Got my first reptile license, and uh, started from there. And the age of twelve to get a reptile license, like I mean, that's really. How old young. were you when? You, yeah, how old were you when you got yours, Chase? I think I was like maybe sixteen, seventeen. I think, or may, maybe closer to eighteen. I think it might have been. I think I was like twenty-two. Yeah, it, it was a hard yeah, ask right. to try and get my mum to give it to me because she was scared of snakes. But <laughs> I got there in the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Yeah. So your parents were obviously pretty cool with it, then, Cam. They kind of pushed you in that direction. Yeah, um, yeah, it wasn't a hard sell. Snakes was a hard sell. Yeah, but um, anything else, yeah. So I just started um, super basic. But as you can imagine, ninety seven, ninety six or ninety seven, um, there wasn't that much available. Yeah. And what was like, let's say, Womers. That would have been like me asking for a Lamborghini, like it was thousands and thousands of dollars, and it was way, way out of reach. And didn't matter how much, I, how cool I thought they were. Yeah. But um, yeah. So Eastern Blueies, Eastern Snake Necks, Eastern Water, Eastern Water Dragon was my first reptile. Which, That's a um, cool reptile. Yeah. Yeah. I think about it now. I'm like, why did I get Water Dragons? <laughs> <laughs> You get, you can get some really nice water dragons. I've got one at work, and it's, it's like a beauty. It's the coolest water dragon I've ever come across. Like, huge adult male, and it's more chill than some beauties I've come across. But um, they're usually quite the yeah. opposite. The water dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones I had, they, yeah, they were no good. <laughs> no, no good for handling anyway. But good for looking. But even. Yeah, even then, I was like pulling plants out of my backyard and, you know, trying to get stuff to grow in a. I just had a six foot fish tank with a, with a, like a big UV tube over the top and it was like a, like a spotlight or something. Put like a, like a lamp sort of dangled up one end. It was kind of real. Um, bit shoddy but um yeah i'd like live plants growing in there and sand from down the um local reserve shouldn't have been doing that but <laughs> i didn't i didn't know that in the in the late 90s um but yeah so ba basically i just had 
tried to have bioactive setups and I didn't really do a lot of handling of the water dragons. And um, eventually I just chucked them all outside, built a pit that sort of backed onto one of the walls of our house. Yeah. With like a flip top lid and then I ended up chucking blueies and turtles and all sorts of stuff in there. It was good. That's awesome. So you're doing bioactive before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know what it was called. I didn't even know what herping was. I, I um I I should say I had a mate down the road that um got into it at the same time as, as I did. And I think the way we sort of got into it was a local pet shop had um like we were into fish. A local pet shop had like a flyer or something about the Australian Herpetological Society because you couldn't buy stuff in a pet shop. And um, that's how we got into it. I think we may have even had to have, we had to join, might have even been a condition. Um, could be wrong. That's, that was a long time ago. That's, um, I'm 37 now, so it's casting the memory back. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was it was cool, and uh, got got animals from local breeders um, like Andrew Melrose. We're still mates yep. after all these years. Um, and after that, um, actually got right into frogs. Kept um, Chloris, Cerulea, Alex, Brony, Infrafranata, and um, that was all for a few years. And and I ended up breeding the white lips, and it was a it was a disaster. I was, you know, however old I was, 13 or something, and 100 baby frogs to feed. I had no idea. It was, I can um, imagine. It was hard enough to get the pinheads and then to get them eating and they were getting out of things. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, I never did it again. And I, I literally knew no one. I had no idea who to, who would, even if I wanted to give them away for free, yeah. But um, it's a bit different nowadays. Up. Like you can just jump on Facebook, yeah. post something in a group, and you could you could probably get rid of them all straight away. But back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. there was nothing. But uh, I think I just got the internet. <laughs> yeah, and it was dial-up. You got the phone ringing in the background. And, <laughs> yeah, it was another decade before before I was on Facebook. So yeah, yeah, was, yeah I just gave those all away. But um, yeah, that was. That was a, I got right into it at a real early age and um, then uh, sort of yeah, in high school, I was this kid that had all these frogs and lizards and stuff in their house and it was a bit weird but it's kind of a novelty for people, I think. Yeah, it would have been back then because, yeah, not many people kept stuff back then. Like a lot of people you talk to know have the odd bearded dragon or they might have one snake or something, but back back then, no one really kept anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I did, apart from my mate down the road and Andrew, I didn't really know anyone. But um, I started to go to some of the Herb Society meetings and meet a couple of people there, people I'm still, still friends with now. Um, Jason Luke and Anthony Tonks, people like that. And I haven't, I haven't been to a Herb Society meeting for... Oh, went to a couple recently, but before that, hadn't been to one in a decade or more. Which herb society is that one? Is that the Hawkesbury Herpetological Society or? 
or um AHS? just a strat yeah ahs yeah. Yeah, I'm a member, but I've never been to any of the meetings. It's just a little bit too far to go. So, Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to sign up for a membership, but at the same time, when this whole new wave of COVID thing kind of broke out, I'm like, well, now I'm definitely not getting to a meeting for a while, so I might hold off for another year or so. But I've been meeting too. Yeah, yeah it's like that. Yeah. It's a good Lots society. Of of it's a good society to be um, yeah. a member of, though, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. They give yeah. you the Red Belly Courier. Every so often, it's like a little magazine yeah. that comes out. I think there's yeah. like seven or eight editions now, so it's pretty cool. It's like a yeah, it's a good little little book that one. I enjoy getting that every year. Yeah, oh. I did. I did see that they just had a recent edition out of that out as well. Yeah, with a green tree on the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's good. Should have should have signed up just for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well. So you started out with a whole bunch of frogs and a few water dragons and things. Did you kind of where did you kind of progress from there? Like, did you end up kind of going into that spiral and getting a whole bunch of animals and having your parents yell at you for having all these things run around the place? Um. Well, to be honest, yeah, yeah, I got right into frogs and I had, um, like I said, I had like four or five species at one stage, and I had pretty much had all the all the reptiles I had. I, outside i yep. ended up building a much bigger pond and just people i knew started giving me turtles like they got a <laughs> license and got a turtle and they didn't want it and so i was ending up with a bit of stuff but nothing crazy and um you know, by that stage i was sort of 15 16 and and i to be honest i kind of lost interest started thinking about um well Girls. Think about other other things. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um I guess that's the thing with getting into it heaps young. Um I didn't really know anyone who was doing it. Like I, I would go what you'd call herping um by myself. I didn't know what it was called, but I'd go out looking for stuff, but every now and then. But yeah, as I got older into my teens and then later teens that I ended ended up just moving a lot of stuff on to yep. just people I knew, and um, then um, and uh, I finished finished high school and um, had no idea what to do because I wasn't really, you know, didn't leave into a trade and um, wasn't wasn't good enough to do biology or something like that. I wish I'd studied ecology or zoology or something like that but yeah there was no way i was getting into that <laughs> didn't, have, didn't have the marks sounds crazy now but if i did it now i'd probably be fine but back then i just didn't have the concentration yep. um and get the marks and finish school and my parents pushed me into a well pushed but you know said you got to do something and i was working in a i was working in restaurants a lot and um so it was either do a chef apprenticeship or go to uni and do something you don't need good marks for. So uh, I didn't want to be a chef as much as I, you know, enjoyed working in restaurants. A bit of a crazy lifestyle when you're 17, 18. But I ended up going to uni and doing a creative arts degree. Yeah. Just doing visual art and graphic design because um, 
I didn't need, you didn't even really need any marks. You just needed a half decent portfolio. So got in for that and, um, yeah, went to uni for three years straight out of high school. And, um, this is probably going to lead into another sort of question, but finished uni and then, uh, didn't know what to do, couldn't get jobs, had no idea about how to get a job as a graphic designer, much less as an artist. Like I'm, I'm no artist, but um, ended up going overseas for a while and uh, just randomly volunteered on an archaeology dig. Which oh, is, wow. That's pretty it's not my Yeah, yeah it was mad. Not my thing, but um, I think some someone I knew from uni just – said, do you want to go over to Cyprus and do this thing? And I was like, yeah, sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. And, um, just casually. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd just finished uni and I had no idea. But I, was, I was still only, you know, like 22, something. I was still super young. And um, anyway, it turns out like Cyprus is either rural or semi-rural, like uh, not a lot going on there. And we um, stayed with this archaeology team in an abandoned hotel where they'd got running water and electricity hooked up the week before <laughs> and done a real basic clean, which was totally fine with me. Like, it was adventurous. It was cool. Um, but when I got there, the place was, like, full of reptiles, heaps of geckos, snakes, tarantulas, even got a Mediterranean chameleon. Wow. So, all this um, stuff that had, you know, been in my head for the last decade was sort of coming up to the front. In. <laughs> yeah, because people are going, what's this? I'm like, oh, it's this and it's that and oh, don't worry about that. It's not venomous. And, and then on the dig, they were digging up accidentally, but they were pretty often digging up brumating snakes. Wow. And I'd, I'd get called over to move them off. Anyway, um, fast forward for a couple of months after that, I got got back home and like fuck this, I'm not not doing um, I'm not working in an office doing uh, graphic design. No offense to people that do, like it's, it's fun. I, I just wasn't I your didn't thing. have to. Yeah, I didn't have the drive. Yeah. to do it. So I got a just an absolutely awful job in a foreign currency. Um, yeah, those foreign currency things at the airports. Oh, like, like the little, booths? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a little box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like literally, um, I don't know if people do this anymore, but it was out of a newspaper opening the, the classifieds and like circling the jobs and possible jobs. Like they yeah. require no, no experience and no skills. <laughs> um so I did that and, and then just ended up volunteering at Taronga in um reptile section and and down in Symbiote with um with reptiles and did um did cert two animal studies, just the, the most basic sort of entry level animal care sort of course. And uh about six or seven months later, got a casual job at Taronga. Uh, I think all of those guys are still there. Michael and Adam and Stuart and all those Dean, all still there. They were all there when I started as casual and then 
told Simbi I can't volunteer anymore, and they said, oh, we'll give you a full-time job if you, if you come down. And wow. So I took it. Yeah. Everyone, everyone thought I was crazy leaving Taronga, Taronga for that. But um, at the time, I just thought, like, full-time job, I need that badly. Yeah. Yeah. Steady income if you do have something full time, and especially if it's something that you like doing. Yeah, and they yeah. don't come oh, around too often too in the zoo industry. Yeah, no. Um, and I think starting it slightly later, like not as a well. Um, ironically, I actually did work experience at Symbio when I was about fifteen, and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> full went full circle. <laughs> Absolutely hated it, but um, it was a much, It was it was different. You know, this was nearly ten years later, and I had hardly any reptiles back then. It was just like working on a farm. Like it was yeah. it was hard work in winter. Yeah, it was hard work. Ten years later, it was still very hard work working there. It's um, it's a really advanced park now. It's I don't think I've ever been to Symbia. It's been about 10 years since I was there, like since I worked there. Yeah. But, yeah, it's an awesome park. Um, And it was awesome when I worked there. But, uh, yeah, it was a um, baptism of fire into the the zoo world, which I don't regret at all. Very hard work, but nothing will ever be harder in terms of jobs. (laughs) <laughs> starting starting with that. Do you just want to give our listeners a little bit of uh, insight as to where Symbio is actually located and, and and you know, what was kind of there at that time when you did go through that baptism of fire? Yeah, so it's in Helensburg, um, which people don't know that. It's basically the southern end of the Royal National Park, kind of yeah, it's a bit before Wollongong. Beautiful area. Um so the park then was was when I started probably strictly natives then. It's um, yeah really diversified into exotics and um, yeah just the um, uh, enclosure design and everything has just gone from strength to strength over the years. But um, when I was there, it was still great. It was. Uh, it was just a really small team, so I was sort of heading up birds and reptiles yep. purely because they couldn't employ that many keepers. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to birds. And uh, the, the boss, like, well, the, what would you call him? Like the, back then he was the, the manager, I guess, Matt. Um, we were about the same age and both pretty keen on on birds and herps and it was just kind of like like um mates working on stuff yeah it's pretty good um but the good thing about it is i made like thousands of mistakes so many um with reptiles and it was a good way you know nothing crazy but it's just a really good way to learn um and try to make things work with you know, no budgets and when it was a lot harder to get supplies back then. So trying to get things to work and, and you know, so the, the best thing for the animals was, yeah, it was constantly 
challenging. Um, but yeah, just a great way to learn. Especially, especially back then, you probably wouldn't have had so much internet research out there, and you know, there's no Google Care Sheets sort of thing like that. So nah. I'd imagine you would have been kind of learning as you go, really. Yeah, it was learning from um, yeah books mostly, just trying to yeah. find relevant yeah relevant reptile books. Um, and uh, yeah, talking to more experienced people that would come in and help us out visiting other parks. Like it's a long time ago now, but we'd go up to Featherdale, go up to the reptile park, had good relationships with those guys. Um, just sharing knowledge, which, which is hundred percent still how we operate now. Like me personally, I've been doing it for 15, 16 years and I still think I'm, uh, maybe not a beginner, but still got so much to learn. And there's always so many people out there, that, especially private keepers that have just got so much knowledge and novel ways of, of approaching things like, like Mitch, for example, just you know, perhaps hasn't been at it as long as I have, but he would know little dragons way better than I would. But I love getting to know people and getting to know how they approach things. That's how I know Mitch is just, I just contacted him. It's yeah. kind of part of the good thing about the hobby too is that aspect as well, you know, like yeah. chatting to other people sure. that know more about other things than you and it expands your knowledge as well, just having conversations with people. So, Yeah, yeah I love it. Everyone's um, got that little niche and, and that little segment of the hobby as well. Like it's it's kind of crazy, Jason and I are doing this and like we're picking up little tidbits as we go of, off all the keepers and all the – you know, all the people that come on this podcast, it's like, oh, that's a great idea. We should employ this or try this or, you know, starts changing yeah, our way of thinking. You guys would be killing it in this um, in this space. You're going to be gurus. Get all the tips from our way through. Yeah. Every corner of Australia. Yeah, no, it's good. It's definitely good chatting to some of the people we've chatted to. So it's kind of lucky in a way. Um, yeah, sure, man. So, um, so where yeah. did you go from Symbio? Um, well, that was how that was how I got my start. Like um, I was there for about five years. Uh, like I said, I was I was essentially employed as a as a reptile keeper in the in the beginning, and and then said, "Oh, you you got to do birds as well." If that's all right, I was like, "Yeah, sweet." They, <laughs> we did have a couple of raptors back then. Um, I don't think they have so much anymore. I think they got a couple of wedgies still. But um, my thing when I signed up for Symbio as a volunteer it was some like a little form and said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to work with crocs, elapids, and raptors. <laughs> and, they're, and, and they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> At least you're right to that. the point. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh. Um, but they took me on anyway, and um, you know, over the years we we um, did a bit of raptor works, especially with um, with wedgies. So we got to know the, the two wedgies there really well. Um, didn't didn't do really any elapid stuff there. They didn't keep elapids at the time. Mm. They do now. Um, but I 
so yeah, it was early 20s. I, I was doing a little bit of snake catching then, so I did a few courses and um, would catch things on, on park and do a little bit of um, uh, like wire stuff as well back in the day, um, any sort of snake rehab stuff. Um, but anyway, after, after that for five years, I would have been about 26 or something, something like that. Um, basically wanted to get away from Sydney, to, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I, I just applied for jobs, two jobs all over the, all over the world, really all over Australia, NZ. I think I applied for one in the Middle East. Um, and, and I was really surprised, like plenty were coming through. Um, but you know, sort of, um, yeah, it must've just been the right time, but, um, almost ended up at Cairns Trop, which is no longer around now. It's all Hartley's. Yeah. Um, uh, then yeah, decided not to go there. Um, part of the reason was I was reasonably experienced there, like five years, and I was still on like thirty-two k, which is yeah, it's, it's not great, it's not, not very much, but that's how it is on the east coast. Um, then I was looking at a um, experienced reptile keeper at Australia Zoo, and I thought that's it, that's me, I'm going to go. And then um, a job I applied for in Alice Springs at the Desert Park came through at the same time and they just twisted my arm, basically. said, come here instead. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, I think I just went there because, you know, like East Coast is all, like I knew people and it was relatively similar. Alice Springs was, you know, may as well have been overseas as far as I was concerned I'd never been there and um just packed up my packed up my land cruiser and drove out like within a week and um that yeah, was best decision ever yeah I can't it's imagine a beautiful little park out there too yeah oh, personally never it's, been there it's it's one of the like I'm obviously biased but um I don't work there anymore but uh it's my favourite park in the country that I've been to. Um, it's definitely my style of um, of zoos and wildlife parks. Like my um, view of wildlife parks has has changed a lot over the years from from when I started. And Desert Park is probably my favourite way to approach the, that kind of that industry. I still like really believe in the industry and what it has to offer. Um, but I think that kind of, if you want to call it like a bio park is my, um, I feel like that for me is the pinnacle where it's, it's like, like, did you go there, Luke? Yeah, I went there. Yeah. I made sure to step up, stop, uh, stop in. Yeah, nice. So, so you know, it's a, it's an award-winning botanic garden as well as a wildlife park. Like it's, yeah. it's just the best, like, that's that's actually what got me into plants was um, just working so closely with a because we had a zoology team of say you know, a dozen people and then there was a nursery slash horticulture team which was yeah maybe another half dozen people and just people obsessed with plants and I'd never 
like I had thought about it a bit in previous work, but not to the level that that these guys did, and it uh, totally um, changed my view of keeping. Um, at that stage as well, like when I left Sydney, I I had got back into keeping once I'd started working as a reptile keeper. So I was keeping, I'd finally started keeping snakes. Nothing crazy, just just mostly pythons because I was rehabbing the odd the odd elapid. Um, but then I, I just moved everything on when I left New South Wales. Um, but then, yeah, working in the desert park was, yeah, it's crazy. Like, we were so strict about um, enclosure design. Um, you'd know, Luke, that it was broken up broadly into desert rivers, um, sand country, yep. and woodland. Yep. So if we had a, whether it was bird, herb, mammal, whatever, Let's, let's say her, we had a herp exhibit in um, sand country. You you couldn't put, say, um, a river red piece of river red gum browse like a branch in there. Wow! Someone would someone would pull you up and go, "Hey, it's got to be desert bloodwood or some mulga or nothing." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I loved it. It was totally my thing to be have that level of detail to um exhibit design so fun um and then that's actually what sort of spurred me on to start herping and birding to be honest more out in the field after that sort of approach Mm. because before i didn't really fully know that people went out herping like i hadn't got onto it that much but then out there it's like it's just like a wonderland so and um i didn't know anyone either so <laughs> i just started going out with work people and road like road cruising in central australia is just amazing um but it's not it's not the only way i like like to do it if, if i have a choice i prefer to just walk like off track and see what's around. Yeah. So, what, what was it like actually living out in Alice? Because it's not exactly like, you know, there's not a hell of a lot of people there, really. Hmm. Yeah, so I was there for seven years. Um, moved there in 2012, didn't know anyone. Got a, uh, rented a room from a bloke that worked at the desert park that had a spare room and, um, from there, just to be honest, I moved there as a single person and I just went out all the time. So yeah. there was a period where I didn't do that much herping, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it was fairly valuable time, but and I was always tired. But um, that was good. Like I made friends for life there. I got married there. I had my daughter there. It's, so it's it's home for me as far as as yeah. far as that goes, and we've actually been trying to um, go back and visit recently and have unfortunately been had those plans thwarted yep. multiple times. Unfortunately. But it is it is what it is. But, but yeah, living out there um, after I'd been there for, you know, sort of, I guess, three years or so, you, you realise that um, 
a lot of people coming to Alice are from Sydney and Melbourne, heaps of um, public servants, heaps of emergency hospital work, that sort of thing, teachers, social work. Like there's, there's a ton of work there, um, but I, I guess it attracts certain people. Um, and, yeah, I just ended up getting really sort of um, really good uh, foundation of friends. Um, but it, it obviously didn't work for everyone. So I'd get to know someone for a year and then they'd be like, oh, well, got my job back in Sydney. It's a, got a promotion or something or, or basically the underlying message is I don't want to live here anymore and yeah. back back to the city for me. But, um, yeah, if you don't like the outdoors, um, yeah, I, I don't know how you would live there because a lot of the um, entertainment is drinking and camping. Yeah, sounds right up or my both. alley. Or, or both at the same time. <laughs> right up my alley. Fine. Yeah, no, it's a weird place to live. Um, like I said, it doesn't suit everybody, but um, I, I could still be there quite happily. Um, Desert Park is an amazing place to work, and I'm sure we'll touch on it, but the seven years I was there, it changed so much in terms of what I was doing, so I was never, was never bored. If I ever got bored, I could go herping or birding, and that's it's how I got into birding as well. Like I was, I was born a reptile keeper. Really, I'd never really thought about birds, but living in Central Australia is what tweaked me to birds a bit. Yeah. Um, I just want to make it clear that herps are number one. Will always, and <laughs> <laughs> will always be number one. But it's no secret to people that know me that I'm easily distracted and interested in, yeah, just everything. Don't they have a funny name for birders? Isn't it like a tweaker or something like that? Twitcher. Twitcher. Yeah, <laughs> tweaker. <laughs> that's something else. He tweaking. <laughs> yeah. I, I was tweaking more than I was tweaking. <laughs> um, it, it, I don't, I'm not even that up on it, but I think there's a difference between a birder a twitcher i'm not 100 percent sure what it is but i think a twitcher is more like like a ticker like um yeah like get the binos out see the rare vagrant species and tick it off yeah yeah okay whereas I, I think birders are probably more like the bird equivalent of a herper yeah as in like you want to get photos you want to see how they behave in the, in the wild and stuff like that bit more okay. in depth that's my understanding <laughs> well i can definitely um, see how you fell in love with that country out there because it's some really beautiful habitats that's for sure it's unbelievable it's um i was really lucky to to do um well when i got there i was just like kid in a candy store so so excited and a lot of the other staff had been there for a while and you know maybe a bit over it so any opportunity for field work which came up a reasonable amount i was like yeah i'll do it i got to go to all sorts of remote parts of central australia where you wouldn't normally be able to go because if it's not a cattle station it's aboriginal land which is 100 fine i love love that um and no problems getting permission or anything but um 
the the more remote country where buffalo grass hasn't gotten in is uh, I just remember thinking I can't believe this is real. It looks like a manicured garden, like wow. like somebody has laid out a gravel pathway and a um, architecturally designed where all the spit effects goes and different trees and like it's just like a um i don't even like saying garden because that's how it should look it's um it just looks perfect yeah yeah i need to get out there that's what i'm saying you get out there yeah you you need to drive yourself out there in a proper vehicle so you can do it properly like like it's all good drive down to Uluru and um you know take the marini loop back through the west max i did that many many times it's even if that's all you get to do it's still yeah. amazing like it'll blow your mind the first time you into that desert real desert country mm. yeah next time i go back i definitely want to go off track a little bit more see what else i can find um while i'm out there but that was yeah. just like an absolute i think that was just like the taste of the tip of the iceberg you know like that was yeah I've been been up to the yeah I've been up to the top end as well and like that was beautiful I just think I'm just obsessed with that that kind of whole arid country right up through into up into Kakadu and all that sort of area that's just an amazing part of the world yeah I'd say um, apart from my little nooks and crannies in Central Australia that I visited my favorite thing to do was to although a couple of days off was to just take off and drive as far north as I could before I retired. So I'd drive to Mataranka in a day, which is like... That's pretty solid. 900 Ks. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's just so exciting. Like I just never had so much energy for it. And you just... Because there's no one out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, comparatively, there's just... It's just a one road and you just have a you know, a little look on a map or Google Maps, you know, what's, what's this, you know, um, so many little unknown bits of national park like before you get to Kakadu and stuff like that. And yeah. Just, yeah, it's the best. You just can't, can't do that quite the same in on the East Coast. Well, you can't because that may be right up the top, but um, up, up the Cape, something like that. Mm. But, it's, it's not the same, not that same sort of um, sense of true isolation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know you're definitely out of the city when you can be driving along at 10 o'clock at night and then just turn all your lights off, stop your car, and you stick your head out the window and you look up at the sky and you just go, holy shit. You, you know, can see the like Milky the Way amount, and everything. Everything. It's just unreal. Yeah, yeah. Stars are off their head, you know. Um, yeah. In the center, <laughs> I should have done more um, astrophotography. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's one thing I want to do out of out, out of analysis and bit astro. So yeah, um, I, was, I was just going to say that you were talking about um, like what was at the desert park. Yeah. Um, when I started there. Um, I actually got employed as a as a mammal keeper, which um, oh, cool. 
I mean, I, I wasn't into it. To be honest, it was, just a, <laughs> it was a foot, it was foot a foot in the door. Because um, they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll just take this job and um, yeah, it's, you'll be able to learn or get on to other stuff. And because I, I was, I applied for a senior keeper role. Yeah. Um, or or uh, what would they call it? Like, I think they call it specialist keeper. So I applied even though I didn't like it that much, but I applied to be the kind of the head of the mammal department. Yeah. Um, and and I, I didn't get it, but they said, can you take the role that person left to do the supervisor role? Can you take their old job um, and work together sort of thing? I was like, yeah, so all good. Anything to get out there was, was the plan. Um, and then once I got out there, they, they'd lost a few staff and, uh, there might have been some, some budget issues and the the park had a new director come on literally the same time as me. Um, it was kind of a little bit of a blessing to go through all the, because it's a government, a government, um, it was under Parks and Wildlife um, government run. So me coming from Symbio, which is basically family run, um, yeah, the hoops and, things to jump through was like completely new. Um, I barely heard of OH&S. It, had, <laughs> it was now called WHS and it was pretty full on. But anyway, I got to know the director, which was useful um, in the later years because we got on. Um, but for the first six months I was there, they ended up saying, oh, can you, do you know anything about can you work reptiles? I was like, yeah, buddy, yeah. Uh, can, you, can you do birds? And I was like, yeah, I'd rather do birds and reptiles than mammals. <laughs> and um, so there was a point for a few months where I would get into work and I'd do part of the bird round, part of the mammal round, and then I'd be on reptiles the rest of the day, which was most of the time just one person for the day. There'd be a couple of days a week where you'd get two of you to do various things, like maybe some elaborate stuff, but most of the time it was just a single person because the collection was not actually massive. It was just really obscure. Yeah. As, as you may remember, Luke, like probably not so obscure now, nearly 10 years later, but in 2012, like, yeah, I was blown away with Lake Air Dragons and Revacorda, Mollocks, of course, um, Delmas, like, I just I never kept any of that stuff. Um, the Eelis dragons, we had a curl snake for ages, desert death adders, and everything was not full bioactive, but, but sort of extreme naturalistic. Yeah. So, yeah, so far. That was one thing that I definitely noticed is all the enclosures out there were really nicely set up. And the animals that were there had some pretty decent space for them as well. Like it was, you know, the Gillens Monitor enclosure that was there was way bigger. Than, I think from memory it was bigger than what most of my enclosures are and it was a pretty decent size with like proper mulga branches and stuff like that in there too, which just yeah. made it all that more authentic. And it just made it so fun. Like I, that's how I'd always kept stuff. Um, there was a brief period where I was keeping snakes on paper just because I started acquiring a few as many 
many people do. In my old old job, we had we had racks. Like it was a brand new technology at the time, and um, and they have their place, but it was never never my um, focus. Net like I always sort of wanted to move away if I could, yeah. and always yeah. wanted to keep things as natural as possible. But there was a period where I think people were maybe a bit afraid to put you know, real logs or real sand or real this, real that in enclosures, worrying about introducing pests or something, you know, something going wrong. Um, I still think a lot of people are in some way. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Um, I get people that have got gigantic collections. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not sustainable. Um, but I guess once I left Sydney and I moved everything on and, and when I moved to the NT, I, I didn't keep anything privately in the NT, um, I could have, but there wasn't exactly many people sort of doing it. Yeah. Um, but uh, once I left, came back to Sydney, or I, I didn't even really want to keep anything, but I just couldn't resist. <laughs> um, but I'd been seeing people like Luke and Matt Somerville and um, a few others, Cooper, who I've chatted to a few times, bioactive is such a massive thing now. And yeah. uh, it's like, yes, this is amazing. Like, it's this, good to see. It's really good to I'm see. 100% um, all about that. Like, I think it's one of, you, one of the things we talk about that I, uh, I've been a professional full-time reptile keeper for like 16 years and all I keep is a pair of mountain dragons, you know. <laughs> In a bioactive, that's it, and I, I love it. Why not though? Like that's something that's you know, even though they're such a common dragon out in the bush, probably up your way. At the same time, like if you can give yes, them something that just looks and um, mimics nature, like, it's still a cool little animal to have. Sorry, yeah, to all yeah. the listeners at home, too. If you can hear that buzz going off, that's me sending a whole bunch of shots from the Alice Spring Desert Park to the little chat that I've got going with Cam and Jason privately as well, just so I can give Jason a little bit of an update as to some of the stuff that was in the actual park and also probably refresh Cam's memory as well of a few things. Yeah. There. There's a few little snips that I took while I was there. Making me tear up looking at that um, Desert Death Adder. <laughs> <laughs> that's unreal. Yeah. Yeah, this, um, this desert park was phenomenal, though. I really did like how they incorporated the plants into everything and how they had, like, you know, you'd, you'd have, like, an animal enclosure and you'd have the animals, you know, standard sort of information on the animal, but then just beside it, there'd be all these ones for the plants as well. And yeah, it was kind of a good uh, good merging point for everything because, you know, at the end of the day, even in a bioactive enclosure, just to kind of bring it full circle, like, that's your plants, your bugs, your soils, everything has to kind of work together and that's the exact same as what the desert park had in these sorts of enclosures was just trying to mimic nature in their in their finest and i think if i ever got the chance to go back which um people ask me and say oh would you go back 100 percent um 100 would go back but i i think that would be something i would try to get um true bioactive going i, I think it would be quite difficult um with the way that we tried to just because we're trying to display things naturally but also really really aesthetically pleasing mm. which is a big which is a big part of the desert park it's um like as you would see 
just walking around the grounds like it's a botanic garden. So it is, it's, it's probably not manicured to most people, but it's manicured if you, if you know what things look like out, out in the actual scrub and out in the gyms. So um, I think it would be a challenge, but that would be something I would love to try is doing bioactive there. But doing bioactive anywhere is, is really one of the, my main interests in the sort of hobby these days. Because arid would certainly be challenging. I mean, it's challenging enough as it is, but arid would certainly be challenging. Yep. <laughs> that's something that I'm learning is like the rainforest side of things. That's reasonably achievable in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But so I can show in- um, well, I'm right next to my, um, my mountain dragons. Um, oh, yeah. that's, that's all I've got. Um, and that, that's just like a second hand. I think it's five foot fish tank off, um, gum tree came with a came with a stand um i just bought like this led panel panel light from um bunnings yeah then then got one of those clip clip on clip onto the corner um mercury vapor and that's all i've got in there and then it's just like local plants local powers dianellas maidenhair little dwarf um bird's nest um i haven't pulled anything out of the bush by the way but just from local nurseries and uh i love it it's my favorite thing even though it seems boring that it's like just over the road is the exact same thing but i get a massive kick out of it and the dragons love it i can understand that like a lot of people thought i was crazy for keeping common eastern froglets at home but you know, yeah, that's, I that's, sort of just enjoyed hearing the call from them, and that's the train, that's train spotter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the only thing that burnt me out on them was the fact that they just eat such small food. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. I'd still have them. Yeah, yeah. The um, the Mounties actually bred last season. Um, yeah. I mean, what did I expect? I I bought two sort of maybe 12-month-old animals um, when I first moved to New South Wales off someone I didn't know, and one died fairly quick. Um, they were, yeah, tiny. One I kept going, all good. Turned out some months later, I could tell he was a male, so I just put the word out, and anyone got a female they don't want, and... The bloke was like, yeah, I do actually, and I want to move her on. Chucked her in and they bred. She dropped two clutches. Was, wow. Yeah. It was, um, I like to think it was because of how good the enclosure was, but um, probably not. Probably just good timing. But um, <laughs> this, this was, uh, lockdown was sort of starting to happen then, and um, I was like, shit, how am I going to feed a baby mountain dragon, like they're small enough as it was. So I tried to get a, a woody colony going and um, I'm sure many people have done it. Uh, it takes a little while to, to get it going, like unless you buy like a, an already 
running colony. And I was like, yep. shit, like I'm just not gonna have enough food for these for these guys. And um and I tried two different incubation methods. One I had the girl just lay them however she wanted in sand in a tub and I just tried to keep it wet and to be honest I wasn't really paying that much attention to it and I lost lost that one but it was probably a blessing. Um, and then the other ones I just incubated over water, um, room temperature. But um, you probably remember that year was a crazy hot summer. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 2019 I guess it was. Um, and I reckon the I got a few too many spikes and um, only got two that were really good. One didn't make it and I've ended up with one that's – it would be a year now that he's still going. And now I have a cranky woody colony, so <laughs> I'm, I'm ready ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was fun watching them because um, I saw behaviours I've never seen before, like the female lifting up her, like lifting her tail up as a sort of piss off, leave me alone, because the male was pretty ravenous. Um Good fun. Great season. Typical male. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to just kind of go back and touch on a little bit. Um, when you were out at Alice, did you do much herping? And if, if so, like what were some kind of stellar species that you found? Yeah. Um, lots of people ask me that. And I feel like uh, sometimes I let them down with, um, you know, sort of not not cleaning up everything. But um I mean, I did make right. me feel better. <laughs> yeah, well, right. I think you you want to know. I got, I did get some gillons. Gillons, um, <laughs> pro- probably the best one was um, going to work, and um, it's a pretty big sort of um, premises, the desert park. You might remember, but there's a whole sort of greater site that's not public access around it, and I was walking along there on the way to work and saw something on a fence. That's that. Because, um, you know, it's like when you're hoping for a long time, you got that um, that search image in your head so you see shapes and I'm actually colorblind, so I do much better with that. Went up and there was a gillens just sitting on a fence. And, <laughs> yeah, it was easy as. I think I'll just walk out of this now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, nah, I, I, um, like I said earlier, I sort of dipped in and out of herping when I, I was there for seven years and I, was, I wasn't herping constantly. I wish I was now, but, um, yeah, that's maybe not realistic. Um, but, yeah, the some of the highlights would be um, all the different specky, manganai, um yeah, never get sick of seeing them. Seen some just crazy looking Western Browns, um, beautiful mulgas, beautiful bredoli. Like seeing bredoli in the in the bush is way different to captive ones, as most people would say. Once they've seen the wild ones, like fluoro orange, um, desert death adders. It's always good. Um, usually, when you got desert death adders, you get amiae. Amiata or 
amazing to see in the wild. And sometimes you could see half a dozen pretty easily in the pretty short space. So quick. Uh, they're quick. They're, they're quick. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a rat yeah. when I found the one that I found up there. Thank like, you. What the hell is that thing going across the road? I just chased it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Um, yeah, lettuce and heaps of parentes and ackies and tristus. I think I lived in probably half a dozen different houses in my time there, but oh, no, not like three or four houses when I was there, and I think I had. Uh, Tristus in three different houses in the roof. <laughs> um, yeah, which was just pretty normal. Uh, I had other friends and they'd be like, oh, I've seen a snake in my roof. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a Tristus. <laughs> yeah, they're very common in, very common in town. Um, but our Central Blueies was awesome to see. First Central Blueies was mad. Um, nice ginks. Um, uh, inland velvets, the variation in them, amazing to see. Cool to see um, literature, the uh, Marini velvet. Um, yeah, I actually didn't know at the time. I think it was prior to 2016 that I, I think they were describing 2016. I think I saw it like two years before that, so didn't actually know. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> Centralian Bandy Bandy was good. Um, That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Did you get helmeted geckos while you are out there? Yes. Yes. Helmeted and sandplane geckos were nice. Um, I always wanted to see um, pigtail geckos out there because apparently there were there was some getting around out there like some people had seen them years before but I never got one Um that would have been cool. Like, I, I, re- I regret not having a better crack at Taipans while I was out there because I knew that where Temporalis are, like, knew, knew it relatively well but just didn't put time in for that or, um, or inlands. I, I had a couple of goes at inlands, but it was more like I was driving to Sydney or something and I'd, I'd camp out there and it didn't really bother me. Like, it's... Um, Traveling through any of those areas is, is awesome, no matter what. But yeah, um, yeah. But and the living out there really got me sort of cemented on birds as well. Um, it's not quite the same, but seeing stuff like grey falcons and black falcons and grass wrens and even stuff like zebra finches and budgies and cockatiels, like budgies in those like murmuration swarm blocks of like five, ten thousand. That was um yeah, they were some highlights. I definitely I definitely noted out a little bit because like I've I've owned bungees for the probably the last ten years or so now and been kinda on and off with cockatiels and being able to see both of those species in the wild was something that I've never experienced before and being able to see that out there was absolutely cool. And uh yeah, even just like the cockatoo species and stuff that are out there. Like I got to see some black cockatoos and yeah, yeah, the red tails and the and the pink cockies. Um, yeah, yeah, pink cockatoos so so cool to see them. Um, Burke's parrots and stuff like that. Um, 
flattering. I gotta myself. see. A, I gotta see a ring neck as well, the Aussie yep. ring neck or whatever. Yep. I gotta see one Australian of those up on that was it like the Memorial Hill or whatever in Alice. There was one playing oh, yeah. around in the tree up there. And I was like, yeah. oh, I've never seen one of these. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, they love it. They're a, a menace in the mall in cafes. <laughs> they um, <laughs> grab sugar packets. <laughs> I think I've seen a video uh, of that actually. But yeah, uh, yeah. So some. Oh, I know about Womans, of course. But talk about that later. Oh, we'll save it um, to the end. But um, yeah, it was a hard, hard decision to leave <laughs> Alice Springs. I bet. But what what was the kind of like catalyst that made you do so? Um, so yeah, basically had a kid is, um, probably the simplest way to explain it, <laughs> which, uh, was totally planned and everything. Like it was all good. Um, it was a particularly hot summer and summers are always hot there, but it was pretty full on like having a kid and more for my wife be honest that yeah she could almost not leave the house in because that my daughter was born in november so yeah um it was hard work to just to want to get out of the house and you know go for a walk or something i should get the my daughter a heat rash and it's just tough like it's it can be quite um challenging to live there in the middle of summer and uh my wife had been in alice for like nine years i'd been there for seven um so she basically yeah gave me a bit of an ultimatum like it's (laughs) i think it's time to go i was like like because i the last uh probably three years i was in alice i'd gotten an i was the senior keeper so it was I was a senior keeper working alongside the operations manager, so I was sort of running the, the collection along with the with the boss. Um, that was yeah, it was like a dream job, really. Um, I was off the tools if I didn't want to be on the tools, and um, uh, yeah, it was a hard hard one to give up. But I said, all right, you got to give me a year to sort of get mentally prepared <laughs> to leave um, and find a job because yeah. uh, zoo jobs aren't that easy to get. And, um, yeah, especially if you – I've been in management roles for a long time. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, uh, actually, they might be easier to get, but, but just zoo jobs in general don't necessarily come up a lot. Um, so – we thought about Tassie. We both really liked Tassie. I was hesitant because the herb fauna is just a little low. Um, yeah. I think I could do it for a couple of years, but yeah. But that was holding me back there. Um, it's fair. fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> Are you getting second glances from your wife right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like we couldn't tell. We both got wives as well. We know what it's like. <laughs> uh, 
probably the, the better option was looking like Southeast Queensland, like I had friends in Corumban and um, it possibly would have worked out. Um, but then some people I knew um, sort of higher up in um, this new Sydney zoo that I'd heard of that I'd sort of written it off. Like I was like, no way, I don't, I don't want to go back to Sydney at all. Yeah, don't want to work in a conventional zoo, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, and then someone I knew sort of got in touch and was like, yeah, you should check it out there. And I had a look and saw Dave Kirshner was heading it up and, like, I didn't know him personally at the time, but I knew who he was. Um, actually, not just as a sort of croc guru and berated keeper, but also as a as an artist, really, and a illustrator because I yep. yeah, studied visual arts and a um, bit of a common interest there and I got in touch with them and they sent me a species list and I was like, like all native but like cool stuff um, and yeah we just chatted about it and thought oh, it's actually not that far from the Blue Mountains so we decided if we can secure um, somewhere to live in the mountains and I can drive to work like we can probably do it. And yeah, we just, we did. Um, got a, rented a house site unseen and I lived, moved in in like May or May or June like, and it was fucking cold. Um, <laughs> um, unfurnished. Especially from especially yeah. from Alice. <laughs> um, unfurnished house at a blow up mattress or something like that and Slept on that for yeah, I don't know, weeks, um, which is fine because I used to sleep in swags a lot. But um, yeah, bitterly cold, no heating in the house. Um, but uh, and middle of winter was a bit unfortunate. Not much herping to be done. Yeah. Um, but but um, yeah, it's ended up being yeah, like we both miss Alice a lot. But um, yeah, don't regret it. Like it's been, been awesome, and yeah, Sydney Zoo's probably want to talk about that, but um, yeah, don't regret it. Yeah, so that that kind of obviously led into why you moved back into into New South Wales itself. What what kind of role was it that you actually signed up for? Was it like a full time head reptile keeper there at Sydney Zoo? Yeah, so um, I'm the senior keeper there. Um, that Dave's the, the curator. Um, so I'm, it, it's also called 2IC. Uh, so Dave, the poor bastard's in the office a lot. Um, so my role is primarily managing our team of three reptile keepers. Um, just, yeah, husbandry, um, exhibit, design. Um, I suppose a big part of moving there. Um, which I've almost forgotten about now. It's been a couple of years, but the, there was nothing there. Like the zoo was not actually, uh, it wasn't even 50% built when I started. So there was a, there was a shell of a reptile building. They um, used a company that built aircraft hangars. Um, so just basically like a big semicircle. Um, yep. And then the um, exhibit's sort of built inside out of sort of um, lightweight steel frame. Um, 
Dave, Dave designed all that, which he did a great job of. Um, so when I started, the shells of the enclosures were all there, but there was no glass, no doors, no nothing behind the exhibits, um, no doors on any of them, and nothing inside. So my first job was to start trying to furnish exhibits, which was, yeah, it was a massive job. I think we got something like 30 tonnes of red sand and maybe more of just soil because we wow. we had 28 exhibits, um, some bigger than others, some massive, like some the size of a living room, like the parenti and lace monitoring enclosures are yeah, the size of a decent lounge room. So it was tons, literally tons of substrate going there because we wanted to do it well and um, trying to source all those things from around the country was, yeah, it was, it was massive. Um, Dave's done like a whole presentation, like a whole sort of talk that he's done at a few hope societies now on, on what that was like. But from, from my perspective, it was mostly about, um, furnishing everything and me and Dave both on the same page, like really naturalistic is what we wanted. Um, and then it was yeah, with Dave, but largely up to me because he was always had his hands tied dealing with other stuff, um, figuring out how to heat everything. So heating a scrub pipe and which is connected to a, um, red eye, which is connected to a diamond, which is connected to a broadhead and then a adder. It was, and then exhibits like this big and to this big and back to this was, like every exhibit is custom heated, basically. Yeah. Like we we sometimes would repeat the the methods or equipment used in each, but we've literally used everything that you can think of. So, two thousand watt radiant heaters for, or even there's a three and a half thousand watt radiant heater in the Parenti exhibit, just because the exhibits are so big, it's yeah. impossible impossible to heat them. Yeah. Um down to like, uh, you know, um, 20 watt heat mats for some of the elapids. Um, only recently I've been trying to convert as much as possible to bioactive. Um, and that's been super challenging because the exhibits are nearly two meters tall, even the smallest ones we have. So getting light onto the plants yep. has been, the, has been the main thing I've been trying to work on. And, um, and having things, uh, it just oddly turned out that the elaborate exhibits were the best ones to do because they're all Sydney species um, and sort of, you know, smaller than some of the others. But like, it doesn't matter what I do, the, the black snake will will trash it and um, <laughs> has to be clean. There's no way around it. But, um, but yeah, that, that's like a whole... You could probably do a whole episode on how we built the zoo, but um, I I do other boring stuff like write SOPs and training plans, and but by and large the the three keepers I just watch them do stuff basically, not because I don't like working with stuff, but my um, 
approach is to is to um, basically let them do it all and if they have questions I'll help or whatever but um, I'm as hands-off as possible um, except for venomous stuff and um, so I train the keepers for venomous stuff and I've listened to your um, episode with Matt the other day and yeah it's like really similar just training and sign-offs and um, yeah maybe some people will never go down that road but um, uh, but yeah it's that's probably my main interest in terms of day-to-day work is working with the the lapids partly because I have to but it's also like fun for me Um, and I like doing it at an older age like in my late 30s because um, I think Matt touched on it somewhat, but being, um, I think being confident with the lapids actually makes you uh, slow down yeah. and do everything slowly. And I'm, so I enjoy trying to, I'm no lapid expert or um, not, not an lapid nut or anything like that, but um, I enjoy training the keepers we have to, um, approach snakes like that like if you be relatively safely gentle then it's pretty likely that that's how they're going to respond and um so we've got inland tire eastern brown common death adder tiger red belly and broadies all on display and the easiest snake to work with is the brown by far (laughs) wow he barely moves um Sometimes, uh, usually can't even pick what's happened, but sometimes I'll open the door and he'll just stand up. And I think that's happened like three times in like two years. Wow. But, I mean, obviously a free handle at work. It's a definite no-no. But um, I that would be the one that I'm most comfortable with, Yeah. Um, interestingly enough. The the tiger tiger is an absolute nut, and um, often hear about tigers being puppies, and yeah, there's heaps are, but then sometimes they're not. It's just always an exception. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all different. Yeah, it's the same as my jungle is puppy dog tame, but yet you talk to everybody about jungle pythons, and they all say they're nasty. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess another. Um, thing like our sign off is we have like general sign off, but then we have um, kind of individual sign off. Like we don't just sign you off on tiger snakes; we'll sign you off for this tiger snake. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because it's animals. yeah, because yeah. it's he's a hard snake to work with. Is just how it is. Like he's he's big and um, like so strong like I've I've seen him like flip out of um out of a holding bin and they now possibly did it but yeah yeah I think tiger snakes are deceptive like that extremely strong <laughs> so what's it like having um the the croc dog croc dog as your boss um yeah like amazing he it, it was one of the reasons why I wanted to move down there because like I was saying earlier is um, 
now I think I'm, I always think everyone knows more than me. I, I sometimes feel out of my, out of my depth, but, um, yeah, I've jumped at the opportunity to work on the day just because the wealth of knowledge that he has, yeah. particularly with Crocs and monitors and my, um, experience with Crocs was at the time quite limited. Um, and when he said, yeah, we're hundred percent getting a big salty, I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> was, um, yeah, that was a big factor because that was one of the few things that I hadn't been able to do professionally was work with a big salty. Um, it, yeah, just had never come up, um, never been in the right place. So, um, yeah, listen, listen um, and he's obviously got a huge amount of theoretical knowledge with, with Crocs, um, having studied them and written the book, um, like he just knows them inside and out. And, and I thought I knew I knew about crocodiles, and, but yeah, it's, so um, yeah, he's really fun to work with in that way. He, he can just talk about anything. Um, so basically the crocs and the monitors are his babies and I get the elapids and the, the pythons and the lizards and, and the frogs. Um, and I just listen to whatever he has to say about crocs and monitors. <laughs> I still remember his massive indoor enclosure he had for his laces. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. Well now, yeah. Now his work one is, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And we actually, um, ended up getting a, a pair of bells uh, that we keep outside, which wasn't part of the original plan. But um, so now we have two lace monitor enclosures and a standalone um, saltwater crocodile enclosure. So, and his office is like this demountable thing, and it's behind the crocodile enclosure. It's just a shame that his window doesn't look out onto it, then he would never leave. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's good. We've got similar sort of views on on zoos and and the good things and bad things about them and wildlife in general. So he's um he's good and just yeah, pretty laid back. I've uh, I've been meaning to come out and have a visit out there. I really got to got to do it when this lockdown's over. I really want to come out and yeah, same. It'd be nice to meet you in person and you know actually just check out the zoo for what it is. Yeah, for sure. Hundred percent organise that. I haven't even got Mitchell out, and he's had plenty of opportunities, and uh, he still hasn't been out. So I'll see if yeah. I can drag him out. We'll come out together. <laughs> yeah. So, um, something else that you've got a, a little bit of a, a liking to is actually your photography side of things as well, which I know Jason's pretty keen on. He's um. A bit of a keen photographer himself, but he's sort of yeah, just cool. getting into the idea of doing some like hurt photography and such. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so even though I did creative arts and even studied photography at, at uni, I didn't really get into it until I moved to um, Alice Springs. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple, yeah, a couple of people were sort of into photography on the on the. Um, on staff, but not, like nothing crazy, um, and uh, ended up meeting uh, some professional like bird photographers, like Dave Stowe and um, Henry Cook. Henry Cook's also 
a mad herper. Um, they came out and did some workshops at Desert Park and I sort of worked with them with that and it's like, jeez, how's your camera gear like? What's going on there? And, oh, yeah, it's this and that. And, yeah, I didn't really know much about it and they they um, kind of um, motivated me a bit to, yeah, I, I started thinking, like, I live out here and I can't believe I don't do this. Like, it's it's almost a crime. So yeah, I actually got into bird photography before um, taking photos of reptiles. Um, I got, like, reasonable gear. Like, I had a 7D Mark II um, and a 100-400mm lens, just still have. Um, ended up upgrading to a Canon 5D Mark IV. So like, it's a great camera. But um, so I spent like probably a couple of years doing heaps of in situ herb stuff with a long lens and just getting to know how to use natural light because that's mostly how you photograph birds. Not entirely like plenty of people do flash with birds, which is totally fine. But like, it was more like I just couldn't be bothered and just enjoyed getting out early morning or late arvo anyway. It was good for herps as well. Um, but, yeah, it was only in the last couple of years living in Alice because I, I don't even think I had Instagram back then, like in 2012. And then in later years, started seeing some crazy herp photography, like, um, like uh, you know, some of the guys you've had on, like Ross and, and Matt, I love math stuff um, yeah. and uh, started looking into it a bit more. And there's a, a true crime, really. I didn't even have a softbox um, <laughs> by, by the time I left Alice Springs and I, I hate it. <laughs> um, All those herbs. Cause I, yeah, like I tried pretty hard to get, you know, get eyes on some things like Womers and I just hate my photos of them now. <laughs> <laughs> better, better than nothing, but yeah, exactly. But, well, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, got pictures of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I eventually then got a a ninety mil macro and I got a um. And by the way, this is basically all of this stuff is secondhand. That's um, the best way to buy stuff, especially camera yep. gear. Yep. And I got a seventeen to forty mil wide angle as well. So. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a travesty, but by the time I moved to the mountains two years ago, I pretty much had everything. And I got I, I used the um, SMDV speed box, the, the 50. That's pretty big. But, um, yeah, it, off camera, flash, it's hard to beat. Um, so, yeah, probably the last couple of years I've let bird photography go a bit. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and kind of like not working with birds either, like just working with herbs and just the whole moving back here and reconnecting with people I haven't seen for like years and years and years um, and meeting new people like you, you blokes and um, like Mitchell and yeah, Jesse Campbell, young fellas like that, Wes, um, like people way, way younger than me that know way, way more than me and way better at taking photos. It's it's mad going out with some of those guys and um, seeing what they come up with. 
I love going out with those kind of people though, because it's like you know I, I do that around here as well, where there's a few younger guys than myself, and they're just like walking encyclopedias. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh, yeah. this is a such and such. What you'll be looking at a bug or something like that. I blame the internet. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. it's unreal. Some of the stuff that they come up with, and you're just like, wow, that's just absolutely flabbergasted me. You know, I've got no idea what that thing is, and yet you're just rattling it off like it's second nature. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been really inspiring as well. Like, um, even though I'd seen plenty of stuff growing up in um, southern Sydney, it's I may as well have never seen it. Um, just seeing it again after so many years and trying to photograph them relatively well or try, that's, uh, yeah, like a whole new thing. And um, so I've got my, got my lists and I try to get a wide and a field guide and an in-situ with as many things as I can. I don't know what I'm doing it for, but it's just... Um, <laughs> Tick the yes. boxes. Gets a bit addictive. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for this summer. <laughs> if we're yeah. allowed out of our home yeah, station. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the only good thing about being locked down in the Blue Mountains, I have to say. Um, well, at least your essential bush tracks are just outside and you can still go find stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been awesome, actually. I've had, had some good stuff in winter. Um, because I'm more from Alice Springs, more used to herping at night. I still herping at night here, but um, so much cool stuff to see in the day in the mountains, like um, blotches and she oaks and stuff like that. So good. Yeah, speaking my language. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, and all that. Got my first um, black snake for the season today. Oh, nice. Uh, that was good. Um, it's actually the first one I've seen in the Blue Mountains, so I have like a weird Blue Mountains list, like even though I've seen plenty of black snakes and browns and whatnot, I want to see them all in the mountains. Yep. It makes sense though, really. Well, it's just it's just like for me it's just fun, like otherwise my mind sort of wanders and uh, kind of need these little projects and I always see something. doesn't matter if I don't see the black snake or whatever. I'll try and, you know, pick conditions and whatever and good habitat. And you're almost always going to find something. doesn't matter to me what it is. Oh, that's cool. Something you do tend to find a lot of is some of the native orchids up that way, hey? <laughs> yeah, I, I cop a fair bit of good-natured flack for that. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Hey, I, I I looked at my looked at like my files, and I've only been doing that for a year. It seems like it's been a lot longer. I I don't really know what what's happened there. Um, Some stunning orchards, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's um, I can only I, I think I must have just seen something on Instagram. Like scrolled through someone someone's post of photo. I was like, what what is that? Um, and yeah, once I think something's cool and interesting, then I, I just got to find out about it. Yeah. So, I, and, uh, it's, it's also good to do in winter when herping is a bit quiet. Um, yep. Yep. I mean, you get orchids all year round, but it's 
different species will flower in spring, summer, winter, whatever. Um, and it's a lot of the same skills, like you need good eyes, you need to pick habitat, um, and then photographing them is actually really similar too. Um, fair bit easier trying to take a wide angle of a little colony of orchids than it is trying to <laughs> wide angle a brown snake or something. <laughs> um, both things are good. And um, like my good mate, Jason Luke, if he ever listens to this, is going to give me shit to the end of time. But they're, um, they are a good side thing if you're herping and you're not necessarily getting anything. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty good at finding a consolation prize orchid if it's a slow day. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah, because there's nothing worse than going out and not finding anything. At least you've got something else you can look for as well. That's yeah, yeah, fun. Yeah, but um, yeah, and I guess a bit like herps, they're you know not not really mainstream and they're just bloody bizarre, like the. Variation is, and once you start looking into it, it's crazy. It's a, it's a big rabbit hole. Yeah, definitely. I was just flicking through your Instagram before, and I didn't realise there was, yeah, such beautiful orchids out there like that. Yeah, yeah there's, a lot, <laughs> there's a lot going on out there. Yeah, because so that's one thing I never really taken notice of. Like, oh, you know, I oh, go, it's a nice flower or something, but I never really taken notice of it previously. I'll probably keep an eye for it now. I think. Yeah, yeah. Neither did I. That's that's what happens, and it's it's good like herping as well. Like, um, yeah, there's some common stuff that's relatively easy, but but um, same as herping. Once you've seen a few of the common things, you you want to see the other stuff, and it's hard. It's challenging. It takes a bit of work, a bit of research. You need yeah. to have your you need to have your good eyes on. Because um, yeah, like. Um, What's it similar to? Like some of the, some of the times I've spotted like basking she oaks, I've had or basking snakes or whatever. I've had like half a dozen people walk past, like just bushwalkers, and I'm just waiting for them to move so I can come in and go. Because <laughs> the the um uh, the she oak I got a few weeks ago, it was still in August, still winter, and tiny track. Um, People have been up and down it, and I sort of saw it from a few metres away. I was like, oh, yes, it's amazing. Like, it's pretty uncommon to keep a um, basking shear. Um, anyway, so I took, took some photos from further back, and still wasn't moving. I even walked past it, not moving. As soon as I got put my wide-angle lens on and had a slightly closer look, tongue started going. And like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you do know what I mean. Yeah. Was that the share that, uh, photo that you threw up today? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit... Yeah, no, yeah they're, oh, they're one of my favourite things to find because they're, they're so variable and and um, challenging. Not always. Like, I don't have heaps of sort of places I know where there's tin or whatever for them. So, um, yeah. Getting them out of boxing is super fun. I got another one. Um, it was like March, I guess, last March, and it was completely different. Looking to 
the one I wrote the other day. Yeah. They're, they're a stunning, stunning species of lizard, and I think they're completely underrated. I'm actually lucky enough to own one of these guys, but it's entirely patternless, ah. so it looks it looks completely different to this one. Yeah, the one I saw in March was essentially patternless. Yeah, yeah. Mine, mine came through a, uh, a long line of rescues, should I say that? So <laughs> I think at one point or another, he would have been in the bush, but yeah. Um, yeah, it came through a rescue organization and then through to me. Um, but, yeah, he's a stunning little animal. I, yeah. I absolutely love him. He's actually only just woken up for the year. Yeah, so nice. it's kind of, kind of cool to see him again out and about, which was quite nice the other day. I would be yeah, no. on Shex. Yeah, I'll have to send you a photo <laughs> after this just so you can see what I was talking about. Um yeah, native orchids are one of those things that I never definitely take notice of uh-huh. in the bush. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cam, but they're, they're quite small, aren't they, the Australian natives? Yeah. Um, yeah, some are like helmet orchids are like a few mil off the ground, some of the smaller species. Wow. R- ridiculous. They just look like a gum nut or a curled up leaf or something. Yeah, some of the ones are tried to find and spend a few hours walking around and then I find one I'm like can't believe I'm can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's yeah. similar it's same as happening like you yeah, yeah try try to find something and you spend all this time and then you find it and you're like, yeah, it's that great feeling of elation. That's one thing that I've come to appreciate is not necessarily I, I can't say that I've found orchids yet, but I definitely am starting to appreciate the the native flowers and stuff when they come through season and stuff like that around this area. And you yeah. can kind of really know when different different seasons are on and you can see different coloured flowers popping up. And yeah. Yeah, you'll find one. Or whatever. You'll find some now. Yeah, Hopefully. I'll probably it's in your head now, so, yeah. You, you won't be able to yeah. help it. Yeah, you'll be getting a lot of messages if I do. What the hell is this thing? Is this an orchid? Yeah. yeah. So, More um, books to collect, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I've only just started collecting mammal books, and now I'm going to have to collect flower books as well, or orchid books. There you go. Yeah. So um, do you kind of have any tips? Because Jason and I are obviously busting at the seams to get out of this lockdown and, and come for a walk wherever the hell we're allowed to walk. Um, do you have any sort of like tips for the Blue Mountains at all that you can – give away publicly if that makes sense <laughs> um yeah I mean, I mean there's a there'd, there'd be a few places that i reckon most people in the country know about in the mountains and um uh, i'm i'm not going to be the one to broadcast them even though everyone probably knows them but i'll definitely definitely let you know um, you. <laughs> um i think i mean yeah There'd be plenty of people that know a lot more than me about the mountains, but I've found um, a few things I've found even in summer, the temps drop really quick, quicker than, say, on the coast. Um, yeah. Doesn't always mean that you're not going to get anything. Um, I've found opening in the day in the mountains is sometimes just as good. Um, I've probably seen as much in the day as I've seen at night depending on what you're looking for. Um, uh, rain is is same as probably most places, but rain is usually extremely useful 
So if you get a get a big rainy day and the next day is sunny, like 100% go out, you you get something. I've seen at least half a dozen mustard bellies just in the sort of two years I've been here and only one of them was one I flipped. All the others have been either out cruising around or basking and then if you can pick those days, yeah, whether it's mustards or um, copperheads, tigers, whatever, um, the only sort of bigger lap that I haven't seen up here is Eastern Brown um, and Death Adder, actually. Death Adder is okay. one that – Death Adder is like a monkey on my back. I've seen Death Adders, <laughs> but not in the mountains yet. Um, and I, they are there, though, aren't they? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. I, just, I just don't want to road cruise the, the really well-known road for them. I want to get them somewhere else. Yeah, yeah fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, so but I guess like most things, conditions is – it's a big one. Um, I also think luck is a big one. But um, good thing about the mountains is that, like just so many fire trails and stuff I've got. Like like if I want to see uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a blotchy. Um, I had another one a few months earlier. Um, because the mountains is quite big and the habitat changes. You have to pick the habitat for the species. So, yeah. like most people know, you're not going to get blotches in the wild mountains, but you get to a certain point, like maybe sort of Wentworth Falls sort of area, you'll, you'll even see the habitat changes. So, find some fire trails, of which there is just almost endless fire trails in the mountains, and um, you need to shoot off. Like, there's always goat tracks. That's, that's basically what I do try to pick the right time and then if I'm allowed, my wife doesn't mind, spend the next few hours. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've had such a good time in the mountains. Um, yeah, blotchies are so fun. She-eggs, copperheads, had a few tigers, pink tongues. Um, yeah, it's just, to be honest, the other thing is um, – like I do think luck is important, but I think you make your own luck in the sense that people that are seeing a lot of stuff, they're out a lot. Yeah. So the more you're out there, the more you're going to see. I don't think I have any better luck or better skill than anyone else. It's just getting out as often as I can. It just And I think you, get, you just get better and better at it, especially, um, I can't remember what the term is, but it's like a thing that your brain gets where it gets used to picking up certain images like a say the silhouette or color or whatever. And yeah, yeah. like anyone that's been herping for a few years, everyone has that. And it just gets better the more you do it. Yeah. The old saying of practice makes perfect, right? Yeah, hundred percent. It's the same with um Frogging, like I'm a an absolute frog tragic, um, and yeah, there Blue Mountains tree frogs are are definitely here. I can confirm that. They're um, although people people seem to say they're not the nicest population here compared to some of the other areas where you find them, but I don't know about that. 
That's subjective. I, I it's all subjective. <laughs> they're, they're one of those species that I, I really adore, actually, because I, I did own some for a short number of years. And, um, yeah. They're yeah, they're so, so nice. Such a nice-looking frog. They're actually up there with one of my biggest regrets of getting rid of. So yeah. It's kind of like a spare-of-the-moment thing where I got rid of them, and that, that's up there with like things like the uh, Centralian Knobtails and stuff like that, where I was <laughs> like, shouldn't have done that. You know, yeah. that was a spare-of-the-moment decision that I'll probably find it really hard to get animals like that back. But, mm. yeah. yeah, they're such Lust. a beautiful frog. Loves Trevor. They're yeah. up. They're, they're like top five for me. They're really high for me. I don't know why. Like, I think just their pattern is so interesting and they've got a really nice call to them as well. Yeah. Like, they're yeah. a solid little frog as well. So they're not like super small and finicky. It's, you know, yeah. similar sort of size to a Perons or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm slowly turning into a frog nut. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Jason's good. about to get some perons off another one of my mates. Yeah, um, yeah frogs me, are good for um, frogs are good for photography as well. Yeah, um, I mean, I I um, they're not not like hundred percent in situ. I try or as much as I can, but frogs are often really good for in situ. I've found if you sort of quiet and keep your lights off them as much as you can, like if I find something, I'll find it and go, yep, there it is, take my light off, try to get everything set up, come back, light on for just like a second and then off again. Yep. And because um, I love trying to not, trying to avoid blowing out the pupils if I can. Yeah, yep. Um, that's hard. Like some, some species seem to be harder than others. Some are way more sensitive, but that's always my aim. And, I mean, it's just better for the frog anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's not something I never actually thought of, blowing out the pupils. Well, every frog photo you see, they've always got those massive, you know, dinner plates on essentially. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's a fun challenge. Have you um have you actually seen any sort of like issues or anything in any of the wild frogs up that way at all? Because there's that kind of new wave of I don't know if it's chytrid or, or what it is getting around that's kind of knocking a few frogs off off the board essentially along New South Wales so yeah yeah so yeah totally heard about do a bit of casual work with um frog ID um yeah. not not at the moment but when the when the activity picks up I did some casual stuff with them last season um yeah it's to be honest, I haven't been out, obviously, frogging that much. Um, but I'm, I'm basically ready to go, I reckon, in the next week or so to start heading out mm-hmm. and see what's going on. But I haven't personally heard about anything in the mountains, which is good. There's a fair bit in Western Sydney, which is a massive shame. Um, yeah, because yeah, Cerulea still persists in Western Sydney and it'd be a real shame to sort of lose that, those um, pockets where they're still doing all right. Um, yeah, I've seen Kittred a few times and, yeah, uh, I don't, don't know, but certainly could be because um, it can creep in when um, temperatures drop. But yeah. 
why this season. But yeah, disturbing to say the least. Mm, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're kind of hunting around for some sort of frog expert at the moment to try to come on and have a bit of a chat about this sort of stuff as well because it is something that interests both Jason and I. And, you know, obviously with the – who was it that sent out the email? Well, that was National Parks, I think, that sent out the email to all frog keepers. I don't know if you got that yet, Jace, but it was basically to say that if you had anything weird pop up in your captive frog populations to try to report it and – and you know, see if they can be sent off for research essentially. So, yeah, uh, something mm. a little bit disturbing out there, that's for sure. Yeah, well, on, on a less sinister term, I think we kind of have to touch on that Woma python photo that you took because that's one of the species that I really wanted to knock on the head out west and, <laughs> and, and see. But can you kind of just elaborate on a few stories about the Woma pythons you got to see out that way? Uh, yeah, um. Yeah, I I saw a few. Um, certainly happy with that. Uh, I didn't, like I said, I was sort of yeah, not constantly herping for seven years. Would have seen a lot more if I was. But um, uh, probably my I've got one that was very memorable. Um, it was one of the times where I decided to try and drive up to Mataranka and you know, see some stuff up, up there. At the time, I'd never seen a wild frill neck. Um, crazy to think about that now. But um, that was one of the things I just I just randomly decided I just want to see frill necks and I want to see womers. And yep. I'm just, just going to go out for the next few days and, yeah, and basically stay awake for a long time and see what I can find. Um, so... Drove to Mataranka from Alice, um, got some big storms up there. I think it was, um, it was December. Um, so got some big storms. Like, I mean, I wasn't that worried because driving up that way, the way the country changes from Alice and then up to Tennant Creek gets a bit, starts changing a little bit. And then up to Elliot starts getting more tropical. And then into Mataranka, it's pretty tropical by that stage. Camped up there, had a, Massive storm, my tent completely flooded, had a hole in it that I wasn't aware of because usually in Central Australia it doesn't rain and <laughs> don't usually take your tent. But um, then the next day sort of cruised, slow cruise back to Alice, planning on doing a bit of it in, at night. Um, got a frilling on the way out, got a Mataranka, so that was good. And at some stage I've... Not even really 100% sure where I was, but um, driving it pitch black, um, no lights, obviously, out that way. Yep. Um, oh, I should say that on my way up, I had a dead-on-road Woma on the way up. That was my first Woma ever. Yeah. Which, as you can imagine, for anyone that's never seen a Woma, to get a roadkill one is, is devastating. Um, Been there. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it hurts. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's sort of uh, encouraging in a way. Anyway. All the more reason we go back. Yeah. Um, so driving back in the dark, um, no, no lights, obviously. Um, then I nearly sort of ran into these people that were 
walking along the side of the road, uh, group of three people, and this was like proper nowhere, like not near Tennant Creek or Elliot or whatever. Um, and I looked in my rear view and I was like, wait, and I was like, this is, uh, I don't know what time, it could have been two in the morning, but it was proper late, and um, so I stopped and this local family from a community somewhere and I thought our car broke down and can you drive us into our community and I was like yeah no worries so I was driving along and I thought oh, fuck, I'm going to see Woma now and it's I'm going to feel bad because I'm not going to want to stop and I'm going to miss it like I'm just going to have to let it go I didn't drove them into their community I'm real thankful but yeah cool it's my good deed pulled, pulled back out onto the onto the bitumen, started driving, maybe 10 minutes later, Woma, middle of the road. <laughs> it's like car. it was meant to be. Yeah, 100%. That was my karma. Um, stop the car in the middle of the road as you do out there because there's really no one driving. Looked out, sort of looked out my window. I was like, oh, yeah, he's there. No worries. Grabbed my camera, grabbed a torch, got out. And he was just disappearing off the side of the other side of the road. I was like, yeah, no worries. Just sort of moseyed on over. Lost him. Oh. <laughs> Complete, completely yeah. lost completely lost it. Like who is a python off the side of the road? And it wasn't like super dense um, grass or shrub or I just couldn't believe it. I, I spent a good ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Walking around, backtracking, has he gone under the car? I haven't seen it. Like, just <laughs> couldn't believe it. Um, I was not very happy with myself. It felt like a <laughs> massive failure for that. Um, I can only imagine it. There was a hole somewhere, and he's gone down a hole, and I just didn't see it. So I got back in the car, and I thought, oh, it's all good. I saw a live Woma. I'm, I'm happy with that. Kept driving. I was pretty much like, oh, yeah, that'll, that'll do. Driving five minutes later, got another one. Wow. How lucky is that? <laughs> I went, all right, you're not, you're not, you're not disappearing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this one didn't go anyway. Just, um, and that's happened with some of the others I've seen. They've just yeah, never had one be super cranky with me. Not, not that I sort of asked for it, really. But, yeah, just... Cruised off the side of the road, got some photos, certainly not photos I'm happy with, so um, have to go back. But, yeah, that was a crazy sort of seeing three in kind of 24 hours was was pretty good. I'll probably never be able to do that again. <laughs> I don't think most people have done that. That's a pretty good feat. Well, to be fair, one was, one was dead, but we'll say. Even still. So, Two in the space of 10 minutes, though. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I reckon that's pretty much unheard of, to be quite honest. I probably would have called it a night after losing the first one, I reckon. I, know <laughs> oh, I, I, I did. I, I have. Totally. Totally called it. Just went, God, Jesus, how did I? That's all right. I've seen one. I'll just get going now. And I've got a bunch of other stuff. That later, like, I ended up getting home my many, many hours later than planned. I had to work, so but it was worth it, I saw. It was yeah. just one of those nights, like, there's a storm around and 
Centralian blues are out, night stings are out, bulk um, browns and stimmies and geckos, and, um, you know, snapping frogs and knife footed frogs. It was, yeah, it's one of the best nights I've ever had, I'd say. It's always good when they're not like that. That's, that was something that really amazed me, and I, I know it's pretty common now, but, like, the fact that those blue tongues come out so late at night. Yeah, this was, like, yeah, middle of the night. It was hot. Wow. It was nice and hot. But yeah. The other I, – I actually didn't see many Centralian blues. I think I only saw two or three, but um, that was the only one I saw in the middle of the night. The others were um, sort of dust like still white, just getting dark. Out of the blueies that I saw in the NT, I saw one Western in the morning basking, then one Western at about 10.30 at night, and the other two Centralian blueies, I saw one at about 10.30, and I think the other one was close to 1 a.m. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I'd always heard about them when I first moved out there. People talk about them. Central Bluey, Central Bluey. I'd always heard dusk, like going into night was the time. Um, but yeah, they, they were yeah. few and far between for me. And I never, I never got a Western. Oh, right. I feel lucky now. <laughs> that almost makes up for the Gil and I on the fence post at your work. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> Not even close, to be honest, but you know, I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was pretty pretty lucky to get those guys there. Actually, the the I found a little Centralian bluey. He would have been all of like maybe twelve centimeters long. He was running around with a gecko in his mouth, so it was pretty. That's cool. awesome. Yeah, he was quite happy. Spectacular at that size. I couldn't get over how quick he was. I thought he was a gecko at first because like I was like, oh, maybe he's just a big knobtail or something like that, and he was yeah. scurrying off the road. But they're a funny shape. Yeah. And he was he was hard to kind of you know uh, stop moving essentially because you know he was just take off one way go the next like he was just so erratic yeah I couldn't keep him still anyway yeah, what do you do? Worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you guys have anything else that you want to touch on at all tonight or are you this has been a pretty awesome episode of just being able to sit back and listen to these stories. Oh, no, so all I want to do is go and herp now. <laughs> I'm, I'm Absolutely stinging. Oh, I've got a diffuser coming in the mail. Nice. At least you get prepared. To I'm ready to go. It's warming up too. I think it's supposed yeah. to be 25 at some point this week. Yeah, it's yeah, supposed this... to be like 28, I think, one day as well, 26 yeah. or something silly. This, this weekend I've seen 26. I think there's yeah. a few people, few people excited for that. Yeah, hopefully the frogs start croaking down the road, so I might have to go for a walk and take the camera down there and try it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm keen. Yeah, I'm supposed to be moving animals next week, but maybe I might need to stay up a night or two or something and just move animals later in the day and you know go and see if I can find my death adder for the season. Oh, and then rub it in. I still haven't seen a death adder yet, so yeah, it'll take me thirty goes to get one here. Yeah, that's nearly. Oh, maybe. I'd say, yeah, definitely top snake for me. They're probably this, my favourite lapid. season. And death adders. Do they get the um? Do they get the red and the grey morphs up there? Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. do they? Do you reckon there's like sort of like a percentage as to which one's more common? 
in the mountains. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. I think it's, I mean, yeah, I've, I'm probably going to do a bit of snake catching um, with a colleague up here for the season. So be interesting to see. But in terms of what I've seen other people get and ID stuff, seems pretty even. Yeah, grey yeah, and red. I, I, over this way, it's apparently kind of like 75% greys, 25% reds on average. Yeah. Um, my experience has been very little compared to others, but it's been about 50-50. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I, I, yeah. It's seen, yeah. Yeah. I haven't looked into it, but just from what you see, people are, typically getting seems reasonably um, even for this sort of general greater Sydney area. Yeah. Last year was the first year I got greys though, so that was pretty cool. True. Yeah, I've only so, seen grey. haven't seen red yet. Yeah, it's pretty, been pretty lucky to see the reds first up. All right, guys. Well, thanks, Cams, for, for coming on and chatting reptiles yeah. with us. This has been absolutely awesome to just kind of kick back and have a drink and listen to all your awesome stories about, you know, all these wildlife parks and bits and pieces that you've worked at as well. This is oh, thanks. Pretty fun evening. Thanks, Heath, for having us. That's great. Great, great fun to chat about it. Uh, anytime, dude. Uh, you know, as you said, you know, it's kind of like-minded reptile folks. So this sort of stuff, Jason and I just love because we can kind of just kick back and listen to all these awesome stories and. Yeah, really just enjoy it. And then you look yeah. at the clock, you're like, God, it's been two hours. Where did that go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, thank you, guys. And uh, guys, if you want to find Cam on Instagram, um, you can actually find him under Cam Candy Wildlife. And I really recommend going and checking out his photography as well. He's got some really awesome photos up there as we've been kind of discussing. And you might see a few orchids or two, but, you know, the reptiles <laughs> definitely make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So we'd like to say a massive thank you to Eric and Owen and the rest of the NPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.net and email them at, Morelia, at info at moreliapythonradio.net. As far as contacting us in our social media platforms, you can email us at australianherptoculture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Make sure to check out our Teespring store for podcast merch. Link is on the Facebook page. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beach of Scaly Beasts. We'd hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Happy Culture Podcast. Good night, guys.